I was able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans, and the VA serves as that catalyst for all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. Oh, let's get it. Monday, August 9th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to Born the Battle, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon, we're on Amazon now, the player inside the blog. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. Second full week back. I'm still getting my sea legs here. (laughs) And I'm still listening to some country and some blues. Still wishing I had a fishing pole in my hand and tossing it and tossing a line in the river back in the other Washington. Oh, well. Yes, we are doing a benefits breakdown on probably one of the most impactful VA health benefits out there on this episode. Instead of doing it last week, as it was episode 250, we usually do it on the fives and zeros, but it was the Olympics and we had an Olympic gold medalist that was a Marine veteran. Couldn't separate those two. So here we are, benefits breakdown, episode 251. But before that, no new ratings or reviews. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms on that platform, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, and hear what's in our news releases. And it's also the best way for me to communicate with you. I like to reply to those. Uh, I like to hear your feedback, so on and so forth. Speaking of news releases, got two for you this week. Uh, True story. The title of this news release is VA to start processing disability claims for certain conditions related to particulate matter. And for the better part of this week until just right now, until literally just right before this recording, and I've seen this story a lot throughout the week, I thought it read VA to start processing disability claims for certain conditions related to a particular matter. And I was like, that's the most government uh title I've ever heard that literally told me nothing, but there is a big difference between particulate and particular. Uh, I digress. Says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs will begin processing disability claims August 2nd for asthma, rhinitis, and sinitis. And I hope I said those right. On a presumptive basis, based on presumed particulate matter exposures during military service in Southwest Asia and certain other areas if these conditions manifested within 10 years of a qualifying period of military service. VA conducted the first iteration of a newly formed internal VA process to review scientific evidence to support rulemaking, resulting in the recommendation to consider creation of new presumptions of service connection for respiratory conditions based on VA's evaluation of a National Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine report and some other evidence. The process concluded that particulate matter pollution is associated with chronic asthma, rhinitis, and sinitis for veterans who served in Southwest Asia, uh, meaning Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, the neutral zone between Iraq and Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, 
Qatar, or Qatar, however you want to say it, the United Arab Emirates, Oman, the Gulf of Aden, the Gulf of Oman, the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Sea, the Red Sea, and the airspace above these locations beginning August 2nd, 1990 to the present. Or Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Syria, or Djibouti beginning September 19th, 2001 to present. VA's review also concluded that there was sufficient evidence to presume that these veterans have been exposed to particulate matter. VA will conduct outreach to impacted veterans and survivors to inform them of their eligibility and will provide information on how to apply. Veterans and survivors who believe they may be eligible for the newly established presumptive conditions are encouraged to apply. They should file a VA Form 21-526EZ if applying for the first time or a VA Form 20-0995 if they are reapplying for these conditions. For more information on the new presumptive conditions, visit our website at www.publichealth.va.gov forward slash exposures forward slash burn pits forward slash index dot ASP. And to apply for benefits, veterans and survivors may visit va.gov or call toll free at 1-800-827-1000. Okay, next one says for immediate release. Treatment time for men with urinary tract infections could be cut in half. The Department of Veterans Affairs published a study in the July 27th edition of the Journal of American Medical Association showing this clinical breakthrough could provide a standard on how male urinary tract infections are treated. Currently, there is no consensus on how long infections should be treated with prescribed antibiotic regimens lasting from 7 to 14 days. This is the first randomized study of the duration of UTI treatment in non-hospitalized men as most clinical trials focused on women. A total of 272 veterans out of over 1,000 eligible participants from the Minneapolis and Houston VA medical centers were randomly chosen to participate in the six-year study. The American Urological Association reports 12% of men have symptoms of at least one UTI during their lives. While urinary tract infections are rare in young men, the infection risk increases with age. Some UTI symptoms can cause a severe abdominal pain, a burning sensation, and fever. Men who experience blood in the urine or a burning sensation should consult their primary care physician for treatment. All right, like I said earlier, we have a benefits breakdown for you this week. Uh, one I've used myself from time to time. Community care is a service that if you don't have a VA medical center or a VA specialist that you need in your area, or it's gonna take you way too long to get seen at said medical center, or said specialist, you can request to be seen by a provider in your community. Dr. Elizabeth Brill, the Chief Medical Officer for VA Community Care, is going to break it all down for you. Enjoy. You know, I personally used community care when I first started here uh, about two years ago uh, for treatment for my issue with my shoulder. Uh, I had one more appointment before I could see like the progress uh, and get reevaluated. And then, and then of course COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So, so um, but no, thank you for taking the time to, to sit down. And sure. Talk to us here. Sure. So, you, I mean, you've been in this role about, about as long as I've been at VA period. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, can you, can you first, can you give me a, a brief description of what the office of community care is or what community care is Yes, uh, and, and an overview of what your role is within it? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, the Office of Community Care is the office within um, the Veterans Health Administration that oversees and administers all of the care that we provide to veterans that takes place outside of VA facilities. So hospitals, doctor's offices, nursing mm-hmm. homes, etc. And uh, so we have uh, an authorization piece to authorize that care to go out. Um, we pay the claims from those providers. Uh, we collect some revenues from other health insurance. And uh, that's, our, that's our role. Um, now, as a chief medical officer, my role has been uh, so you know at those those functions I described a lot of those are pretty administrative, uh, yeah. but they certainly need some uh, clinical insight when it comes to policy and procedure, uh, and so that's what I've been doing in my role is advising, uh, particularly when we have sort of unusual benefits that can be not so clear cut. Sure, very good, very good. Um, now, before the VA, you were a doc in the Army for 12 years yourself, right? You were Army yes. veteran? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I, uh, I trained in the military. I was a ROTC scholarship uh, recipient and also HPSP, which is for medical school. So okay. uh, I did my residency in the Army and then uh, an additional, that was four years, an additional eight years uh, serving from Korea to Germany to Texas to Louisiana. So kind of all over the place. Uh, what years were you in? I was on active duty from uh, 94 to 2006. Okay. Um, real quick, give me either a, and I ask every every guest this, um, that's, that's a veteran. While you were in, give me either your best friend or your greatest mentor. Oh, that is a good question. My, my greatest mentor would have been the chief of surgery down in El Paso, Texas, uh, Dr. Stephen Hetz. If you were to pick out one thing that he taught you, what would it have been? You know, he just uh, taught about excellence and integrity, uh, doing the right thing for the patient and um, doing the best job that you could possibly do. Uh, I I still am in touch with him to this day. Why why leave the Army after 12 years? And what was your transition like? Yeah, so um, a couple of things. One was, uh, you know, at that point I had been doing a lot more administrative uh, work um, the chief of department, et cetera. I had been the uh, sort of DCCS, which is kind of the chief medical officer at one of my assignments. Uh, I wanted to learn more about administration, finance, et cetera. And so I was kind of on the verge of, and I ended up actually leaving to go get an MBA. Um, so I was on the verge of that uh, next step. And to yeah. be honest, you know, right at the time in 2006 that we were leaving, my husband and I was actually it was active duty as well. I, I think really the, the turning point was we had just had two kids a year apart and the op tempo was super high. So he had been deployed three times and oh, wow. uh, we just felt like it might not be with small children. You, you start to have different uh, factors that you consider. Nobody wants to leave their kids an orphan. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No. Uh, I mean, hats off to those that do it for the 20 years or for the 30 years and, and have families and, and are able to do that. Um, but I, I personally left after after over a little over eleven years. So um, I think you just know when it's time to go. When it's time to hey, this has been fun and time to move on to the next stage of your life. Yeah, and I will say when I left, I went straight into an MBA program, which was just fantastic. I learned a lot. I met a lot of new people, and we moved to Chicago. So it was you know a lot of exciting life changes, and we had two toddlers. So it was just like you said, kind of the right time. Very good. And how many years have you, Dr. Brill, how many years have you been with VA? I saw in your bio, you've had many positions, including chief of staff at Cincinnati's uh, VA Medical Center, 
among a number of other positions. Yeah, so it'll be uh, five years this spring. And you've had that many billets, and I look at your bio, you've had a lot of billets in five years. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. That is true. <laughs> I move quickly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Man, I think that's like, I think you have over five billets. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, now for you, what does it mean for you as a veteran to be able to advise on policy and implement how veterans are getting treated by the department in a community care setting? So it's, it's really meaningful for me on so many levels. Um, I think firstly, in VA healthcare, you know, profit is not the first driver of yeah. what goes on, right? It's it's taking care of veterans, which is more than just uh, getting them to a doctor and getting them home. There's a lot more coordination. Uh, there's a lot more wraparound services. So it feels like the right kind of healthcare to be doing, and it feels like we're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, but I, what I particularly love about doing community care is I did spend some years in the private sector you know, working as a VP of surgical services and a chief operating officer. So I really understand how the private sector works. And so it's kind of exciting for me to have this interface with the private sector um, in my VA role, uh, because I think I really have an understanding of um, that side and I can, uh, you know, sort of be a good translator, if you will. Sure, sure. sure. It seems like there's a, a number of services within the Office of Community Care, and each one, I think, could be probably be its own benefits breakdown. And maybe we can do that later on as, as we progress through the podcast. I'm just going to run through them real quick. Mm-hmm. General community, from what I saw on the website, general community care, urgent care, emergency care, which we kind of covered in one of our COVID bonus episodes with Dr. Kessler, uh, foreign medical care, home, home health and hospice care, Indian or Native American health services, in vitro fertilization, state veteran homes and flu shots. Now we're talking about care within your local community healthcare systems for all of these. And I'm sure eligibility for each differs a bit based on the service and the need, but what are the general eligibility guidelines for community care? So uh, some of those programs are fairly limited to certain populations, but I think the biggest program is just the general community care. And uh, so there are certain criteria for that, which of course vary uh, depending on where you live. Uh, But essentially, if you are in a state with no full-service VA, if you need a service that the VA near you doesn't have, for instance, something like uh, maternity care or neurosurgery, uh, you know, those are not necessarily available at every VA. Uh, If you've been grandfathered in through uh, something from the Previous Choice Act, and then the access standards which have to do with how soon you could get an appointment or how far away from that facility you live. So for instance, if you wanted to get primary care at the VA, but you lived an hour away, that's past the driving distance that we expect people to make. So if if you can't get to the VA within 30 minutes, then we would give eligibility to be seen in the community. Now, that being said, you know, People do choose to just come to VA and and they do the extra drive, but they don't have to. And then the access standards around wait time is, you know, let's say you have a, you need an orthopedic surgeon, you know, maybe you could relate to that with the shoulder. And, um, yeah, absolutely. Right. And then they tell you that the next visit's 40 days, right? That's too long. So anything over 28 days for specialty care would give you eligibility to go to the community, Uh, you know, and then, and then again, you could choose because in some communities, maybe you could get in in 14 days in some communities. It might be a longer wait to, to go to an outside orthopedic surgeon, but the veteran, 
the veteran is then put in a position to have choice. And that's, that's the key to the legislation. And I think that's, that's, that's the best part about this. Um, you know, so it's not mileage, you know, I think a lot of, I think the old system used to be mileage, right? So now it's, Correct. now it's by drive time. So if you can live, you can live 10 miles away, but if you're in DC, you right. know, pre COVID that might be an hour. That's you exactly know. right. That's exactly. I've lived in New York City and Chicago. Like you can't get anywhere fast. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. So you know, and I got some friends that, that live in West Virginia and some very rural parts, Montana, Idaho. So this is actually, uh, you know, really, really good news for a lot of them. Now that's that's for veterans, but let's let's flip this. What what if I'm a community care provider? What if I'm out the, one of the providers out in town, a physician out in town, got a private yep. practice? doctor, how can I get into serving veterans by seeing veterans through community care? We work through a third party administrator. And so for uh, what we call regions one, two, and three, which is the Midwest and the uh, South and East coast, Uh that is all uh, through Optum. And um, so a provider could actually just go to the Optum website and then uh, look for their link for VA. And there's documents on there to apply to become a provider for VA. Uh, there's a credentialing process. Now, on the West Coast and Texas and um, Alaska, the third-party administrator is TriWest. And okay. so a provider would just do the same thing, go to the TriWest website uh, and apply to become a what we call CCN or Community Care Network provider that way. Gotcha. So if I got a doc out in town and, and I, you know, I had a, a private health insurance, so I'm like, Hey doc, you know, I really like you, but you know, I'm losing, I just lost my job or, or, uh, or mm-hmm. I just lost my health insurance. Hey, please go to this website or please. And they, they can help them. They can, they can actually apply themselves. They can, the doc can actually apply themselves to actually still serve that veteran. Right. Absolutely. Yes. That's really cool. That's really yep. cool. Um, okay. I'm a veteran. You know, I just found out about this program. And I'm like, okay, I'm in West Virginia and yeah, I'm 45 minutes away or, or, it, you know, I, my shoulder physical therapy is, you know, three weeks from now. How do I get started? What's the application process like? How do you do it? Where do you go? So um, when a veteran is interested in potentially getting care in the community, the first step is uh, that they need to see someone at the VA, uh, their physician, because it is a, they need an authorization uh, in order to be seen in the community. Their eligibility needs to be checked, and then um, they can get an authorization to be seen in the community. And it may be for just a specific type of care, or it may be for all care, and that depends. Um, and I did, there was one other thing I didn't mention previously is there is something called best medical interest, which applies to when the doctor decides that it's best for you to be seen in the community, even if you don't meet any other eligibility standards. So a good okay. example might be, let's say you live 20 minutes away, which is pretty close, um, but you just had you know some kind of surgery done and you need to get physical therapy. And there's a physical therapy place right across the street from your house. The doctor could say, well, since you're going to physical therapy very frequently, um, we can just authorize for you to get the care across the street instead of having to come to the VA to get it done. Something like that. Great. Great. That's something I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. So then the doctor will give you an authorization for either all care or some care. Um, and then... Uh, So in order to make an appointment, there's lots of different ways to do that. Veterans can make their own appointments 
or the office at the VA medical facility can make the appointment for you. And in some cases, Optum or TriWest can make them appointment. And if they want to kind of shop around and see which doctor they want, they can go to the website va.gov and then there's a provider locator on there and they can, you know, take a little time at home and take a look at those providers and then let, uh, you know, let, let the appointing uh, scheduler know where they'd like to go. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm going to get to that real quick. Cause I had a personal experience with that. Um, real quick about the application process. And you talked about that initial meeting. Can that initial meeting be telehealth? Can you do that virtually? So, uh, in this day and age, we have converted so many appointments to telehealth that that is that is probably possible. Yes. Okay. Very good. Very good. Hey, I got to tell you, before this interview, I found the facility locator on va.gov. I typed in my, you know, I just typed in facility locator on the search bar, and I, you know, it was one of the links. I typed in my zip code. I looked for community providers in network uh, by throwing by just throwing in my zip code, and, and boom, uh, three docs close to me that were. Yeah, really close to me, um, could see VA community care patients. For those that are online or are older, like my grandma, like we right. talked about, mm-hmm. uh, and refuse, she refuses to have internet in her house, um, <laughs> how can they find these same dogs? So that's... So that's just a tool that's, you know, essentially provided for patients' convenience. Yeah. But they can... So It's great. It's a great tool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but but you're absolutely right. Different people have different ways that they like to get information. Absolutely. So, you know, someone could actually physically go to the VA and talk to one of the schedulers. You know, some people really like that face to face contact. Yeah. Uh, they could also call um, the clinic. You know, let's say they were seen in primary care clinic. Uh, they didn't feel like talking to the scheduler at that time and they wanted to go home and maybe look at their calendar or what have you, they could call back and talk to a scheduler on the phone. So there's, and the scheduler has a way to pull up all of these, you know, providers, even a bigger list than you would see on va.gov and talk with the patient about, you know, what they might be looking for in terms of specialty and location. And I will say that there is another factor that they can look at on the system that the schedulers see is whether that provider has taken special training to um, work with veterans, such as a military competency training, um, special training on traumatic brain injury or PTSD or military yeah. sexual trauma. So they can look in their system to see what uh, providers out in the community may have ex- extra training around caring for veterans. Can you mix and match? Can you have like a, a general provider close to you and then for specialty care, maybe there's an orthopedic doctor at the VA you actually like, or can you flip that? Can you, can you kind of work that to where it's, it's, can, it benefits the veteran based yes. on the care that's needed? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's really, so the veteran can always choose to take whatever care they want inside of the VA. Um, yeah. And then as far as the community, it's it, they based on those eligibility criteria and then the veteran can kind of decide what works best for them. To your point, you know, there might be a primary care doc that's just, you know, three blocks down the street and they want to see that person, but they really would prefer to go to the cardiologist at the VA because they have, you know, you know, they, they trust them, they have long experience with them, et cetera. And yeah. so, yeah, absolutely. Very good. Very good. Very cool. Dr. Brill, um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Um, is there anything that I have missed about the overarching subject that is Office of Community Care? Or is there something that I haven't asked that you think 
would be important to share with anybody that's listening? Well, I think that just the overall thing that I would like to share is that we view community care as a partnership with internal VA care, and it should all be a seamless experience, ideally for the veteran, so that the veteran can kind of toggle back and forth depending on their needs um, and, of course, their eligibility between the community and the VA. Uh, it's all about veteran choice. Um, and so, you know, if, if someone has the eligibility, we work with them. There is a there's there's something called a, a referral coordination initiative, and that's really sort of personalized service to talk through with a veteran the pros and cons about being seen in the community versus the VA. So, I guess what I like veterans to know is they're not totally on their own making these decisions. Um, there's folks at the VA that can help them decide where they should go and how they should think about it. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was one of my friends, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I enjoy, I enjoy him. She really comes in special. Yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the Just morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank Dr. Brill for her time breaking down, again, what I think is one of the more impactful benefits for VA care, of VA care. For all the rules, regulations, for all the documentation of this program, go to va.gov forward slash community care and share this information with every veteran you know. Such an important program for all of us. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week was sent to our podcast at va.gov email here at Born the Battle, and it was sent in by Glenn Pugh. Glenn writes, I would like to submit Mike Tarpley, Vietnam veteran, as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. He was part of Tiger Bravo, and there was a book written about this unit called Tiger Bravo's War. Mike was awarded two Purple Hearts and is now the first vice commander of the DAV post in Big Spring, Texas, and serves on the Ethics Committee of the West Texas VA, organizes hunts for veterans four times a year, and is also the Vietnam veteran recruiter for the annual Purple Heart Hunt in Texas. In Vietnam, Mike took an AK round through his ankle and took a grenade to the face that they had to reconstruct. Anyway, he is such a humble hero and always finds a way to recognize veterans and never takes credit for any of it. He went through a lot in Vietnam, and he says that giving back to veterans is his therapy. He makes woodworking pieces such as plaques, etc., and gives them to veterans free of charge. I am a recipient of three such masterpieces. I served 30 years in the Air Force and retired three years ago as a Chief Master Sergeant, so I've served, some, so I've served with some great Americans, and he is one of the best. Glenn, appreciate you writing in. I'm taking your word for it, brother. Army veteran Mike Tarpley. Thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a future Born the Battle Veteran of the Week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. 
We're on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. And follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark McKilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gunner. bullets fly to my brain. Simplify till we're another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my bag Raiding down lead Punching that clock Get them boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner Bullets fly to in that brain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load Oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one